In this episode, I'm going to tell you why I use the term midlife crisis, why I think you should consider designing yourself a midlife crisis, and just how old you have to be to have a midlife crisis anyway. Welcome to Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast with Stephanie Lee. On this show, we're going to talk about what it means to be a late Gen X or early millennial woman dipping her toes into midlife. I'm talking specifically to the woman who sees this stage of life as an opportunity to reflect on her life to date and to begin the second half with intentionality and purposefulness, whatever that means to her. So as I start this new podcast, I'm hopeful that it speaks to a lot of people, regardless of where you are in your life. I have enjoyed and benefited from a lot of podcasts, certainly many for which I was not the target market. Whatever your story, you are welcome here, and there's space for you. But for a moment, I want to be very specific and call out the people that I'm talking to specifically. These are professional women with a body of work, who are in charge of their own lives. Who get shit done on the regular. Who are accomplished and proud of it. And yet, they have a sense in their quiet moments that somehow their life is happening to them. All of the decisions have been made and now they're just along for the ride. What I want for you, listener, and why I am a life coach and why I'm doing this podcast is possibility, a sense that all of the decisions have not been made, a sense that growth and change is possible, a sense of spaciousness and openness about your life, as well as one of your own agency. I want for you to be able to see that the path you are on, both the journey and the destination, something you have created through your own thoughts and beliefs. Not that you have manifested it by thinking certain thoughts, but the decisions that you made in the past and the way that you think and believe has created within you emotions that have caused you to show up in such a way that it has created the life you have now. We're going to talk a whole lot more about that in later episodes, but let me tell you, it is not about blame and it is completely about empowering you. But because it is true that you have created your life, you can get rid of the along for the ride feeling and start driving the car again. So we're going to stick with this car metaphor in this episode. It fits. And because it's 2022, we're going to assume it's a car with self-driving capabilities. What I would offer you is that you got in the self-driving car, set the destination on the GPS, chose the route, and then allowed yourself to be lulled to sleep by road noise. Now you've woken up, and you can't remember where you were going or why. You think you're along for the ride. But you never have been, and you never will be. But for the purposes of my metaphor, why is it that we allow ourselves to drift off to sleep? First of all, we're tired. Our professional lives are wearing us out. We want to do a good job, maybe even the best job. Many of us are perfectionists and don't want to do anything less 
than completely top-notch. Some of us have imposter syndrome and are trying to prove to ourselves, to our coworkers, and to others that we deserve to be there, wherever there is. In many of our careers and industries, the work is just simply multiplying, and our jobs are expanding because of what needs to be done. I listened recently to a podcast where they were interviewing a trauma surgeon on stress and recovery in her profession, and they discussed the sheer reality of the fact that People need trauma surgeons 24-7, hospitals are often understaffed, and we're just not actually graduating enough surgeons and specifically trauma surgeons to keep up with demand, with need, with accidents and emergencies. The job just keeps getting bigger, and there's a finite number of people to do it. Another reason we've allowed ourselves to be lulled to sleep. The world has worn us down. Society is feeling increasingly polarized. We've been in the midst of a pandemic going on two years, which seems to be a new way of life. We have a 24-hour news cycle fed by advertising that is constant, plus all of our social media feeds. We lack the time and space to think about our lives and what's important to us. But the other piece of that is that if we did have the time, most of us don't know what we would even do with it, and it actually seems pretty futile to think about it. This is just how life is. And we are just so dang busy. Busy being a bit of a badge of honor, too, in our culture. And we don't actually have a really good sense of what we do with free time, with white space on our calendar. We think about that last time we had free time, and we didn't really use it wisely, whatever that means. For most accomplished people, our inner voices, the voice that talks to ourselves in our own head, it isn't actually very nice. We make judgments about ourselves, fuss at ourselves to keep moving. We take account of our weaknesses, and we think and attribute all of this to self-awareness. A lot of us are staying in our sympathetic nervous system all the time. We're on in fight or flight. Again, something else that's just simply wearing us out. We also have habits in place to calm ourselves down at the end of the day, maybe like having a drink looking forward to the satisfaction of being full after a good meal, decompressing with a little Netflix, all of which offer us some measure of relief and the ability to check out, but are not actually necessarily restorative in terms of allowing us to get the rest that we need to recover in brain and body for our lives. What else lulls us to sleep? Our brains like the comfort of things staying the same. They're a bit fearful, and that that is familiar feels safe. They also produce the same thoughts every day, which tends to produce the same routines and habits. All of these factors together contribute to us being metaphorically lulled to sleep in our lives. But then something shakes us awake. We hit a pothole in the road. So often it's a problem that's come up for us. You're overweight and you can't seem to kick it. Maybe you lose someone important to you. You realize you're drinking more than you'd like to. Your doctor tells you you need to start taking your health more seriously. You can't get over being sick. You find yourself hitting snooze every morning. You don't feel like you have time for anything and you're burned out all of the time. You take a vacation, but when you come back, you're just as tired as when you left. 
I'll talk a little bit in a future episode about what jolted me awake, but often it's a combination of things that causes you to notice something's not right. You look around at your life and begin to think that it's not quite what you had hoped. And at least a little piece of you thinks. But this is it. Doesn't everyone feel this way? And often there's a sense of shame about being dissatisfied. There's a sense of shame that life isn't going as planned and it doesn't feel good, or it even appears to be going as planned and it doesn't feel good. It feels like it's a source of embarrassment, or we must be very entitled to think life should be a picnic. But that actually is not what this is all about. Let's stick a pin in that sleeping in the car of our life metaphor for a minute, and I'm going to take a little detour and talk about midlife crises. So why am I talking about a midlife crisis? I was a child of the 80s and early 90s, and I have the very stereotypical mental image of a midlife crisis. And if you are not watching on YouTube and can't see the video, I've got a picture up on screen with the stereotype I'm talking about. It's an older white gentleman, gray head of hair, leaning up against a sports car. And if we're honest, there's probably a maybe not so age appropriate woman in the sports car. So that is the imagery in my mind, and it is completely not what we're talking about. The term midlife crisis originated with Elliot Jacques, a Canadian psychoanalyst and management consultant. This was in the 1960s, and it was used to refer to a crisis of identity and self-confidence brought about in midlife, early midlife actually, by a lack of accomplishments, a sense of mortality, and the realities of aging. He characterized it as separate and distinct from burnout, grief, and other crises, though I'm going to argue that things like burnout and grief and other emotions brought on by life events are often contributing factors to the sense of a midlife crisis. It's a period of time characterized by assessment and evaluation. And I'm using this term midlife crisis really fairly loosely and relying on a definition here from Wikipedia, but I like some of what it says, so we're going to use it. It may include disappointment regarding goals that have not been accomplished, sadness at the loss of a youthful body, ennui, confusion, resentment, or anger due to discontent with marriage, work, or health, disappointment that things didn't turn out differently. And on the one hand, I think maybe this is a kind of reevaluation we're always doing in our lives. Or maybe this is actually just the kind of indulgent navel-gazing people in the first world have time for because they don't have other needs they need to worry about. And look, I do hear that. But if we care about something, we evaluate it. We do that professionally. Doing so personally isn't about indulgence. It's about taking responsibility and ownership for our lives. It's not about whining about the realities of life or adulting. This is about being a proactive agent in your own life, in the places where you're able to do so. So why do I like the term midlife crisis, especially if it comes with the stereotype? So a few reasons. I love the tie-in to identity and the idea of reshaping our identities. Who we are isn't fixed. Growth is always possible. That is all very appealing to me. I also love the assessment and evaluation of our personal growth and development. And if you know what I do in my day job, that's probably pretty entertaining to you. But this is also something I've done a lot in my own personal life. 
I like to journal, especially at the end of the year as it approaches January 1st. Think about the previous year, what happened, what I want for the next one, how I am different than I was the year before. It feels constructive to me. It gives me perspective. And it helps me to see all of the good that occurred in spite of and perhaps even because of challenges that occurred over the year. I also like the term midlife crisis in an ironic sort of way. Thinking about the stereotype of midlife crisis and playing on that. Because to me, it feels like the ultimate in, oh, it just happened. I couldn't help it. It gives me permission to do all kinds of ridiculous things, change in ways no one expected, and write it all off as a midlife crisis. And I actually like it as a way of you giving yourself permission in the best possible way. So our back to our metaphor, where we've been lulled to sleep and now are suddenly jolted awake in our car. Those of us in midlife, or almost midlife if you prefer, who have some awareness that we've fallen asleep at the wheel, have the opportunity to wake up, be alert, pay attention to our environment, and start driving. What I want most for you is not that you would plug in a new address with new people in a new place and a new gig, although, perhaps, what I want most for you is to be the driver of your own car, the one in charge of the music, the one in charge of the GPS, looking out the windshield and enjoying the scenery. You were lulled to sleep by the sound of the road. Of course you were. It's okay. But it's time to wake up. Don't miss the drive. Life is a road trip, and you're missing the trip by checking out. And as we talked about, there are reasons we check out. Reasons for big checkouts and reasons for little daily checking out. All of it is okay, and it's how we cope and represents doing our best with the resources that we have at the time. But is it what you want for the second half of your road trip? What I want you to do is put yourself back in the driver's seat. Nothing is happening to you. You're the driver. Maybe there are some things you'd like to try. Maybe you haven't camped for 40 years, and now backpacking sounds kind of fun. But you wonder what people would think. This is where you can call it a midlife crisis and buy yourself a tent. There may be hobbies or sports that you want to try. There may be some deeper things, some heavier things. You may want to re-examine your values and priorities, but you know if and when you do, there are going to be places where your life doesn't align and you're going to need to make some changes. That can bring on a lot of anxiety and heaviness. So this can be a combination of small things and larger things. The midlife crisis of stereotypes is blanket permission to behave in irresponsible ways and excuse it by saying that you couldn't help it. But this midlife crisis is one you design and embark on that you are purposefully entering into as a time of self-exploration. It doesn't mean you're going to become wildly selfish and abandon all of the things that were once important to you. Although, as an aside, for some of you, maybe this will be the first time in your life that you choose to put yourself first. So here's the other question about this language, midlife crisis. You know why I like the term midlife crisis, but why midlife at all? I'm in my early 40s. 
And depending on what you're reading these days, that may or may not be midlife. Particularly in the age of prolonged adolescence, I, I guess it's surprising I don't still live at home. If we're getting technical about it, a quick Google search provides definitions of midlife beginning basically at 40 or 45 and going to 60. And many of the human development theories that we would have studied in college characterize about the same age span as midlife. Those theories also don't account for the way that adolescence has become prolonged into basically 30 in some cases. I told you earlier, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, so I grew up on the Golden Girls. And the Golden Girls, if you remember, were actually supposed to be in their 50s, with the exception of Blanche, who was supposed to be 48. These were their golden years. Our expectations for the various stages of life have changed dramatically. But midlife itself is a fraught term. Gail Sheehy wrote in New Passages, which she wrote in the 90s, and talked about how life stages had changed so dramatically since she wrote Passages, the original, in the 70s. At the time, in the 90s, she wrote about how no one, and of course she was talking about boomers at the time, no one wanted to be in midlife. So she started using the term second adulthood, which I really do like, but obviously it has not caught on. But again, I like it. But for now, the word that we recognize in our culture basically is midlife. It's an ill fit, but it's what we got. I use it because 40 is half of 80, and the life expectancy of a woman born during the year that I was is 77. So I'm going to make use of the term because I'm ready to make changes now. I see this as the January of the second half of my life, and I want to lay the foundation now for the life that I want in that second half. Once you're jolted awake and you start getting antsy, you stop the car and get behind the driver's seat. Let's do it now. So to recap, I'm going to return to our metaphor. Imagine that you're on a road trip. You've been driving for hours now, trying to get to your destination, and you've been lulled into a daze by road sounds and passing scenery. You hit a bump in the road and are more awake and realize you haven't seen anything at all that you've passed for the last several hours. All of a sudden, you come upon an incredible view and one of those scenic view signs with a pull-off, and so you do. You take some selfies, and you get oriented to where you are. And while you're taking pictures and slowing down to take a breath, you realize the whole point of this trip was a cross-country drive. It's likely a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and you decide to pay attention. Now you're excited. You realize there's music you want to listen to, and you get back in the car and plug your destination into the GPS. And then you start thinking about all the places you'd like to stop along the way, and you start adding stops. And then you start thinking about the people you'd like to see, and plug those in too. Maybe you won't actually get to all of these locations, but you'll decide as you go. Speeding through in a haze or a daze is just missing the point. So again, wherever you are in your life, if you're waking up to your life and want to grab the wheel and take your own journey, this podcast is for you. And that's what we're going to talk about here. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that you are as well. And I have a little something for you. If you go to stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash episode two, you'll find not only the show notes for this episode, 
but a link for a worksheet with some questions that you could apply and use to think about what we've talked about today. It's just a few questions, and you can use this either as a worksheet, maybe as a journal prompt, maybe just simply some questions to take with you on your walk, whatever works for you. Again, that's going to be stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash episode two. And that link is also in the description of the show on whatever podcast app you're listening to. So we're done. That was our second episode of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I do hope you plan to join me back here on your favorite podcast player for our next episode. We are also over on YouTube. Wherever you do watch or listen to the show, please do subscribe. It really helps us to get some visibility and share it with a friend who you think might enjoy it as well. As promised in future episodes, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about me and my story and what I have planned for this podcast. That's all. It's been great fun, and I can't wait to chat with you again soon. Bye. Bye.